0: Welcome to Robin Wesleyan Church Online. My name is Brock. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you've joined us today. So welcome. I've got a couple announcements as we get into things here. Uh, announcement number one, the church has a podcast. Did you know that? So we have this beautiful link right here that you can go to and enjoy our podcast. If you can't jump onto the video, the audio is there for you because we want to walk with you through life. Announcement number two. Uh, we're coming up to halloween and we're not going to shrink back from the darkness on this evening we're going to all gather in the church parking lot we're going to decorate our trunks and give out candy to the kids in the neighborhood and be a safe space to have fun so it's called trunk or treat so if you want more information you can email the office we hope you can join us it's going to be a great time and another announcement Christmas is coming. So we're going to do a Christmas choir. It's going to be great. We're going to do it right here in the studio. We're going to record it in bits and pieces and put it all together for the online crowd. And we're going to figure out how to do several Christmas Eve services in person once we know what the rules are for this Christmas Eve. So that'll be a great time. You can also email the office if you're interested in signing up for that. I just signed up this past Sunday. It's going to be great. Pastor Bert plans to distribute the music here in these coming next week or two. It's going to be Beautiful. He has a lovely arrangement set out for us. It's gonna be a great time. So come join the choir. I'd love to sing with you. And lastly, we have in-person services here at the church at 9 and 10.30. They're a great time. We meet here in the sanctuary and there's lots of space for everyone. So bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring your family. Let's all come to church. Let's see each other. Let's do a thing in person. It's great. And if you wanna give, you can give digitally. Uh, by doing an e-transfer or there's an offering box here at the church. There's also a debit machine. So we have got lots of ways if you want to give to the church. But with that, let's start off our service with some prayer because God wants to talk to us. So let's open our hearts to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you're here with us. We love you and we long to know you. Would you help our hearts to be near you? In Jesus' name, amen. Last week was part three of a series, All I Commanded You as we study Matthew 28 when Jesus said go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all I've commanded you we're trying to figure out what did Jesus command us Uh, last week we were talking about how Jesus commanded us to make disciples and how do we do that the big question last week was who are you discipling and how so I can encourage you to continue to consider that um, but Who has and is discipling you? Uh, Who's teaching you? Who's leading you in wisdom? Who's your community? Who's your accountability? Because I think these things are core to what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if you're here, that's something that you're seeking to do more of. I'm a little confused, though, because Jesus didn't say you must disciple this way. He left it very vague and open. And I think that's a sign of freedom he wants us to have in this. Uh, but Jesus, how did he disciple? Because if we're followers of him and his way, how did he disciple? And maybe we can learn how we can disciple our people and be discipled by how he did it. So, how did Jesus disciple? Well, he taught many, but he had disciples. Uh, Luke 10 says that he had called 12. Sorry, not Luke 10. Uh, he called the 12, but we don't know how the 72 joined. It says in Luke 10, that 72 disciples were sent out we don't know how those ones joined we have specific records in the gospels of how jesus called the 12 he said hey you guys come come follow me and then there's these other several dozen people who were disciples who were followers of christ and we don't know how they joined him Uh, but the 12 he picked them Uh, he was walking around and he sought out these people seemingly and he chose them he told them More or less do you want to be my disciples he said come follow me and they agreed and they they chose to follow him Uh, that's it that's interesting that's how he chose his disciples Um, he had other people in his life who weren't disciples he had a family Uh, his mother Mary she isn't listed as one of his disciples but she was eventually I think a follower of Christ Um, there was Mary Magdalene and Lazarus and Mary and Martha Uh, And these seem to be maybe some blurred lines of friendship and discipleship and maybe we don't need to make these lines very uh, separate our modern world loves to have uh, Things very simple and clear and we don't like what's called a plurality of relationships if someone's your doctor and your friend and your cousin uh, we, we don't like how that's all mixed and we want to relate to them in a specific way but Jesus seemed to be okay with blurring those lines of friend and disciple uh, anyway that's I think just a cultural thing but your disciples they are your people and we are called to make disciples I don't know if you see yourself as a discipler but Jesus wants you to be a discipler and he also wants you to be a disciple so that means we're following someone hmm now how did jesus pick his 12 disciples Uh, mark 1 14 says that he did it out of prayer he did it out of the desert when he had been praying and fasting for over a month after he'd been baptized he chose his disciples prayerfully Uh, now what did what did they do how did they do it well it seemed like they did life together Uh, he taught them very formally in sermons like in matthew 5 these foundational truths that I think were meant to be just a a foundation, some building blocks for things to be built up from. Uh, Foundations are often very functional, not necessarily beautiful. Jesus' teaching was beautiful, but these were uh, a means to the end of building a structure. Uh, So he taught them formally, like a sit down, this is the lesson, we're going to talk about this idea. Uh, He also taught them exemplary or by leading by example. Uh, He said, follow me. And then they followed him. And there was this whole culture in Jewish history about following your rabbi. And they had this funny phrase that it was a, a blessing you'd say to a disciple. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That you would follow him so closely that like his dirt would get on you. That he would teach you how to live by you following and observing him. Interesting. Uh, And that's what Jesus invited his disciples into. And they did follow him. Uh, He also taught them, discipled them correctionally. Uh, He corrected their practices. He corrected their thoughts, their theology. He corrected their worldview. Uh, So like in the case where he asked the disciples, who sinned, this man or his father? Or I think I have that wrong. Maybe the disciples asked uh, that he he was sick. And Jesus said, neither. It was that God would be glorified. Jesus was trying to correct their wrong understanding of the world. Jews thought that things going well for you was a sign of God's blessing, and things going poorly was a sign of God's judgment. Uh, And Jesus said, it's not that cut and dry, guys. The main thing is that God is glorified, and that we are able to engage with God in all these circumstances. And Jesus clarifies that. Uh, He also corrects their understanding when they wouldn't let the children come to him because you know he's a busy man he's an important rabbi why would go away kids don't bother him and Jesus says no 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 don't don't hinder the children from coming to me this wasn't I I don't think this was a teaching he set out to do today that I'm going to teach the disciples about how to interact with children I think it was incidental that he was out teaching and something came up and they were in the wrong so he corrected them he said oh we don't we don't live that way This is how we live. He taught them correctionally. And he taught them incidentally. When things would come up, he would speak to them about that. Uh, And he would use the the goings-on of life to talk to them. Uh, Like when he calmed the storm out on the lake. It was when things were so chaotic and messy. And they were fearing for their lives. And it was in this moment he spoke into them and said, "Why, Why don't you have faith? Why don't you trust? That's what faith is. Faith is trust. Why don't you trust that God will look after you? And it was a a very incidental moment uh, that he was teaching them in the the midst of life. And i found as a a teacher and someone who tries to disciple people, uh, I can often make excuses that like, man, I wish there would just be this time that the iron would be hot and then I could speak into that particular circumstance, right when, you know, they are most needing that correction, most needing that guidance. And then when that time comes, I say, oh, boy, do I ever wish I could have had some foundational time that I could have laid out all these ideas before we were in the thick of things and before things were so heated up. I wish I could have laid some groundwork. And it can be easy to second-guess ourselves. But Jesus said, go make disciples. And he's calling you to make disciples. So I think that means wherever you find yourself and whoever your people are, you need to be discipling them. One last thing. Uh, he taught them incidentally and correctionally. They were talking about who's the greatest. And Jesus said, it's not about who's the greatest. It's about serving. Uh, That's Luke 22, 24 to 27. He said that the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And he's using their words and their wrong understandings to be an insert into how to understand it right, which is some pretty cool teaching to be so sharp and on the ball and tuned in to what God is doing and where they are, that you can kind of bridge that gap. And I think that's what discipleship is. Bridging the gap between God's kingdom and how God is and where people are and helping them get in line with the kingdom. When Jesus says, we should pray, your kingdom come. Hmm. One last way Jesus taught. He taught repetitively. He was he was so patient with them. Uh, I'm thinking about Mark uh, Mark 8:31 931 1032 9, 30 to the 34. Uh, they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is running out of time. Uh, his three years of ministry of public teaching, they're, they're winding down. He knows he's going to Jerusalem to die and his disciples, they still quite don't get it yet. and they should get it. They've had all of Jewish history, all of the scriptures that are foretelling the the christ the messiah is going to come he's going to suffer he's going to die and he's going to raise back to life and the whole old testament speaks about this in so many places and they still don't get it even though he's been there and been teaching them so mark eight thirty one, he says guys i'm going to go to jerusalem i'm going to die and i'll be back and they're like oh wow and then Right after that, they're again saying, like, who's, who's going to be the greatest? I think I'm going to be closest to Jesus in heaven and when his kingdom comes. And Jesus is like, guys, you're missing it. It's not about who's the greatest. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. And then again, in Mark 10, 32 to 34, they still don't get it. So he tells them three times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'll be back in three days. And then they go to Jerusalem and Jesus dies and they are distraught and they think, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to leave the way that Jesus taught me and go back to my old way of life. And they go back to fishing. And do they not remember that Jesus said, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die and I'll come back. I can understand how I think I can understand how much of an earth shattering idea that would have been. But Jesus was very patient and repetitive in teaching this idea. I don't know if you've ever considered how long it takes for you to arrive at a new understanding of something. Uh, I was thinking about studying about number systems this week. Uh, We in Canada use more or less a base 10 number system that 10 pennies equal a dime and 10 dimes equal a dollar. And our our whole number system revolves around 10s but there are lots of number systems that don't revolve around 10 and just how do you wrap your head around getting to eight and then restarting or getting to 12 and the uh, the imperial measurement system kind of is a a base 12 system Um, and how hard it is to wrap your head around that or in music that there's a little number at the start of each uh, page of music that it has the time signature that says what the counting system is is it three, is it four, is it six? Uh, and they, they change how they count. And I was thinking about how do you come up with understanding how to count numbers? And that's, that might be a little too cognitive for us, I don't know. But how do you come up with a new idea? How do you teach a new idea to someone? And I've noticed sometimes we can be a little impatient in somebody else not yet understanding something that we now understand. And I think we should be a little aware of how long it took for me to learn this idea and to give you at least as much time. Because maybe I'm not as good of a teacher as the teachers who taught me. So when you're discipling your people, be, be patient with them. Uh, God wants to speak to them and he wants to speak to you. He wants to lead us in paths of life. But how long did it take you to walk in the life that you have now? We should be patient Uh, Not negligent, not absent-minded, not leading them up, but patient and tender, like a a shepherd walking with their sheep. We should be repetitive and patient in our discipleship. And this was a a main thing that Jesus was trying to teach them, that the Messiah must come and suffer and die for, for the sins of the world. That was why he came and they didn't get that main idea. It's not like they were missing some finer point of theology or of practice or spiritual disciplines. They were missing the main thing for years after living with him full time and hearing all of his teaching, and they still didn't get it, and he was still patient with them. Jesus taught them repetitively and patiently. One last example that might be the most practical out of all of these. He taught them around holidays and trips in different cultures. Uh, I'm thinking about when they went to the, the Samaritans and Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, I think it is. Uh, I might have that wrong, but it's one time that they're at the Samaritan village uh, and John says, Lord, should we call down fire and destroy them all because they were unrepentant? And Jesus is like, John, that is, that is not it. That is not the way we do this um he used different cultures and different settings, different holidays as a means of teaching them. Uh, he used things like trees and birds and little stories. Hmm. Jesus taught them with what was going on in life. So how did Jesus teach them? Those are kind of the settings and the methods, but like what did he what did he say? Well, he told parables, which are just Made up stories. We've been studying them with the youth group. If you want to listen to the uh, the youth and young adults podcast, you can check that out. Uh, But Jesus taught in parables, so Matthew thirteen has a bunch of parables that Jesus told. These short stories that convey one idea with a bunch of different characters interacting with it. And I think he made these up off the cuff. Like when I think about the uh, Mark twelve, I think it is the. The scribe says, Jesus, what's the the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells one of the most famous parables, the Good Samaritan. I don't think he had that planned because that was a question they sprung on him. And then they tried to pick apart his words. And he, he clarified it with this story that maybe we could grow in our ability to come up with stories that illustrate ideas. Uh, just kind of out of the overflow of our relationship with God and our understanding with him. Uh, he seemed to teach out of observations of life, thinking about uh, Mark 12, 41 to 42, with the widow's penny, her, her two mites. They were just at the, the synagogue service, and this old lady gives two pennies, and he teaches them about something that he knows they struggle with in their heart, this kind of pride of, look at all I've done for God. And he says, like, guys, it's, it's not about how many dollars you've given. It's about how much love you've given and how much trust you're giving to God. Uh, sometimes he explained parables. So parables are a little bit of a vague story that you can kind of chew on and pick apart and understand. Uh, but then sometimes he would just explain the parables, like Mark 4. Uh, the disciples were like, oh, Jesus, we don't understand the parable. It was a it was a good story, but I don't I don't get it. Would you explain it to us? And he explains it to them. And he says this this means that, and this means that, and teaches them all of the things. He corrected their thinking. So that was Luke eighteen sixteen when he said, "Don't hinder the children." Uh, Luke nine fifty four to fifty five was when John was hating on the Samaritans, like the the golden disciple John. We don't often hear anything bad about John, but here he was. Uh, Wanting to call down wrath on a people that Jesus wanted to have mercy on. That's a a pretty big miss. To desire wrath when mercy is the goal in the moment. Uh, Luke 22, 24 to 27, he's talking to them about don't seek power, seek opportunities to service. And then in Luke 10, 42, this is another incidental teaching that just kind of came up in response to their questions and interactions with Jesus. Uh, Mary and Martha don't seek service but presence so they were looking for power and Jesus said don't don't seek power seek service and then when the toss-up is between serving God and just being with him and being with maybe your disciple or being with your people it's better to be with them than to serve them and Jesus says in the last days there'll be many who say Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and preach and perform miracles? And he'll say, yeah, but I never knew you, so get away. That is a a scary, a scary situation for we who do things for Jesus. Do, do I know him or am I just serving him? He, he loves service. Uh, service is a great thing. But service without relationship is uh, a, it's just a service. Like, I'm grateful for the person who served me my sandwich at lunch today, but I, I don't know them. I'm not going to invite them on vacation with me. Uh, it, it's a pleasantry, and oh, thank you for your service. And then you, you turn and leave. Jesus is looking for people who know him and can give love and receive love. He also answered their questions. Uh, so he made up parables. Uh, he observed life and then taught about that. He explained parables. He corrected their wrong thinking. He gave them foundational teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. And he also answered their questions. Mark 9, 28, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, we there's this demon we can't cast out. Why, why is that? And he just teaches them. They ask questions and he teaches. Uh, Mark 13, they're questioning him about, Lord, when will the end come? And he gives them, a very long teaching. Mark 13 is fascinating about how we can have signs of when the end will come. Hmm. So just some review here. Jesus had an overt group of people who knew Jesus was their discipler and they were his disciples. And he taught them how to live by example, by formal lessons, by incidentally and correctionally and repetitively. Jesus taught them. He's patient, and he is long-suffering. Hmm. But he also still asked, you guys still don't get it? So I don't, I don't know if we understand patience very well in our culture. Patience we kind of think of as uncomplaining. But Jesus was patient uh, in waiting for God to do things in the hearts of his followers. But he was still frustrated with them at times, too. And he didn't shy away from sharing that. So that's how Jesus discipled. What about you, me and you? Um, it's, it's kind of freeing, kind of horrifying. There's no minimum age for discipleship. There's no minimum education requirement or years of experience. Uh, a discipler, I think, this is a Brock definition, uh, it's just a someone who loves God and has some knowledge of the way of Jesus or the teaching of Scripture. Uh, both of these things are necessary if you love Jesus and don't have a clue how to follow him I don't know how you could lead someone to him but I think most of us have a sense of how to follow Jesus and we can share that with others Uh, we can disciple and we, we need to love God I hear stories of Bible college professors who no longer believe in God but they're still a professor like how how can you do this how can you teach about the God of the Bible if you don't believe he exists And they're just engaged in scholastic studies, which are unhelpful. Hmm. So a discipler is someone who loves God. So if your desire is to follow Jesus, you're a disciple. And his disciples make disciples. So who are your people? I think something we need to clarify in our our culture here in Canadian churches and here in Roblin Wesleyan uh, If I'm trying to disciple someone who I haven't called and hasn't agreed to follow me, I'm just handing out advice, which I haven't seen to be very effective. Uh, I've mentioned for a couple weeks now, but unsolicited advice is generally unhelpful and tends to build more walls than leading people in a path of life. So be maybe slow to give advice to people who are not Agreeing to follow your way of life and this is the this is the scary step and I I understand it's a big step I'm a little scared. Maybe you're a little scared, too But to ask someone like can I disciple you will you follow me? Can I show you how to live? And that's a little scary because what if they say no? Oh, that that's a little awkward I don't want to define the relationship and then that have be have that be rejected That that stings that could be awkward Uh, I'm awkward averse And secondly, uh, what if they say yes? What if they say yes? And now I'm on the hook for this person's spirituality and I'm supposed to lead them in the way of life. And like, that's a good burden to feel and take that to God and pray for them. Pray for them before you ask them like Jesus did. I don't know if you have to go find a desert to fast in for six weeks, but pray for them. Pray for them before you ask. Pray for them after you ask. But I think once we have established that I'm here to help you find life, then the place of me giving advice is a little more palatable. It's a little more acceptable. The same way that you came to this service, to this video here today, uh, that you're looking for an encounter with God and a way to get closer to him. And I'm here to help give you advice on how to do that, to point you towards him. So who are your people? I don't think we can start discipling before we answer that question. That's step one. You've got to know who your people are. They've got to know they're your people. Uh, I think it it could be pretty hard to engage in a relationship without them knowing that you're engaging in a relationship with them. But discipling is to teach someone to follow Jesus. And he's called you to do it. So let's have some courage. Let's pray a lot. And then go do it. Hmm. So, some recommendations for how you do this now say you've you've talked to your person and they want to meet up they they want to maybe they don't want to meet up because I don't know if discipleship is so much an event as a way of life um, But they want to do life with you they want to become like you like Paul said in Corinthians there that imitate me as I imitate Christ that's what you're inviting them into is I I have something that I want to share with you and it's good because it's God in me. It's not my, my prowess as a spiritual person. Uh, it's me having God in me. And I want to let you have the same freedom I am experiencing, the same intimacy with God as I am experiencing, the same authority that I have I want to give to you, that you could be like God. So some recommendations of how do you do this. Well, if you've already talked to your person and said, like, hey, I want to disciple you would, you, would you let me lead you? and they've said yes, you need to start to set up some expectations. Jesus said, follow me, and then he started walking, and they they followed him. So you need to give them an opportunity to say yes more than just the initial yes. Jesus said, follow me, and then they followed, and they continued to follow. So maybe set a time and a place that you guys meet up. Make it regular. Maybe it's monthly, maybe it's weekly, daily, I don't know. But find a way to meet with them. Maybe go through some accountability questions. These are super awesome at overcoming bad habits, destructive things, addictions. When we continually meet up and say, like, how, how did it go? Are you struggling? Are, how's your self-control? How's your spiritual disciplines? How's your finances? How's your time of prayer? How's your physical exercise? And when you continually come up against these questions, uh, we have a desire to rise to it. Uh, and the, these questions are just great for building up consistency and faithfulness done in community without judgment, but with encouragement and accountability. So maybe you do some accountability questions. Maybe you study a book. Uh, we we all need to know more. There is more of God to be discovered. But I don't know if we always need more teaching as much as we might need more prayer or more uh, engagement with people i don't know i'm a little bookish and sometimes i get to the point where i i have studied enough i need to go do and i don't know where you are on that but i think we could always do with some more freedom in our lives which comes through accountability through repentance through community Uh, and maybe you need some more knowledge some more understanding maybe you need to do a bible study or a study of some devotional book Uh, there's lots of good ones. Talk to me if you want some advice of where to start. But there's so many good books. Pastor Bert has lots of books in Measure One Music here at the church. Anyway, but regardless of what you do, I encourage you, make sure you include prayer. It's so easy to come together to read some books and skirt around prayer. You need to pray. A disciple is one who prays. So learn to pray together. It could be awkward, but you got to get there. This is what it's all about. It's teaching people to, remember, bridge that gap between heaven and earth, God's kingdom and our worldview, and bringing them together. And to do that without God, without speaking to him together, it's going to get weird. You're going to go off in weird places, that you're going to lead them to follow you in ways when you're not following God. But if you can get so you can pray together, that's... That's good stuff. So I encourage you, talk to each other. Uh, so pray, talk about life, and, and talk about what God's saying to you. Uh, that, that's been a very fruitful discussion in my life and in my discipleship journey, leading other people. If you talk to them about what God is saying to them, you can see kind of where God is working on them, what are they open to, and that can really be telling and encouraging for you. There can be some mutual edification, some encouragement. So how how do we disciple people? Well, you got to talk to them. They need to know that you're discipling them. Call them. Call them out and say, come follow me into life. I want to show you some stuff. And then meet up, pray together, talk about life, talk about what God's saying to each of you. And maybe do a book study, maybe do some accountability questions. But we are all called to this. There is There is no Christian who isn't called to discipleship. It's interesting, as soon as you're a Christian, God is calling you to become a discipler, someone who calls others to walk in what you are already walking in. So may God bless you as we seek his kingdom. Can we all say the the benediction from the end of the Lord's Prayer all together? You know that last bit, for thine is the kingdom, okay? Let's say it together. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Go and make disciples.